Hey listeners, before we get into today's episode, we have a special and encouraging message from today's episode sponsor, the Lovey Awards. If you're making great digital work, prove it. The call for entries for the Lovey Awards is open. Enter by the 5th of August 2022 at loveyawards.com. That's L-O-V-I-E awards.com. Presented by the Webbies, the Lovey Awards was founded to honour the best of the internet in Europe. Think ad campaigns, digital marketing, games, social, immersive experiences, and podcasts like this one. Entering your work recognises the team, and winning proves they're the best creative talent in Europe. Work is accepted across seven languages, English, French, German, Spanish, Italian, Dutch, and Swedish. Join the symbol of the internet and creative excellence. Enter by the 5th of August 2022 at loveyawards.com. Again, that's L-O-V-I-E awards.com. Enjoy the episode. This is Internet Marketing. I'm here with George Cassiotis. Oh, go on, George. Tell me if I got that right or wrong. You told me it was going to be hard. Is it close? It's perfect. Oh, okay. That's good. I'll take that. I'll take perfect. George is the managing director of Minutia. Have I pronounced that correctly as well? You nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. That's two in a row. And that should be all. Hopefully there's no terminology that trips me over today. Uh, but George, thanks for taking the time out and being on the podcast. Uh, you're here with me to discuss SEO for SaaS companies. And in particular, I'm curious to know like what's different about SEO for SaaS companies, maybe in comparison to some other industries. And you specialize in this area of B2B SaaS. How did you end up at that point? First of all, let me say thank you uh, for uh, the invitation. I'm very excited to be here. And to answer your question, I would say that it was a pretty obvious choice for me when I started the agency two and a half years ago. The reason being is that the software as a service industry is exploding right now. And quite frankly, I don't expect it to slow down anytime soon. I think that there is a lot of opportunities there coming with all the funding rounds and all the growth that comes with the SaaS industry. And I think that uh, it was, a, and I, I still believe that it's a great choice for us to begin with. Moving forward, I feel that obviously we will have to, let's say, broaden our horizons a bit when it comes to what companies we are targeting and accepting and working with and helping, meaning that we will not be able to sustain our growth just by serving the SaaS industry, even though I feel that there is a lot of you know potential there. So moving forward, I see us serving B2B companies, which is something that we already do, by the way, mm-hmm. and possibly uh, explore other areas as well, uh, B2C even. But for now, yeah, we are serving B2B SaaS companies. Things are going great. As I mentioned, the timing couldn't be better because it's a it's an industry that is growing and it's growing really fast and we are happy to be part of that change which which happens now actually uh, SaaS is on the rise right now 
And we are also happy to be contributing to the growth of uh, some of these companies that happen to be our clients and that we help uh, with their con marketing and SEO efforts on a daily basis. I'm a big software fan. Like I just love experimenting with software, marketing software in particular. That's where I find a lot of enjoyment. I'm subscribed to lots of products, services in like my whole life feels like it's subscribed on a subscription plan at the moment. Are you able to estimate how many software products you have a subscription to yourself at the moment? Oh, that's a tough one. I would say somewhere between 20 and 30. Uh, and, you know, it's not that all of these tools are tools that we use on a daily basis. For example, it may be Zapier uh, that we don't have to log in uh, and log out like every single day. You just leave it there after you set up a, a Zap or two based on some tasks that you want to do. And that's it. So I would say that, you know, around 20 to 30, as I mentioned. And, you know, there is this thing when it comes to, to tools that, especially in the, the SEO industry, we, are, we have this shiny object syndrome uh, when there is a, a new tool that gives us a promise about doing something better or getting results faster or whatever. We always are very keen to, to explore this new tool. Not that this is necessarily a bad thing, but I would say that besides you know the tools and all the, the the things that they can do and the capabilities that they have the there have to be some some foundation some you know basic knowledge logic and understanding of how things work so that whatever the tools can do can be on top of that foundation but yeah to answer your question i, I would say around 20 to 30 what are your foundation tools, the things that you learn, you maybe you're an expert in, that you use regularly and that you find once you've used them, the skills are highly transferable to other tools? Do you mean for SEO? Uh, yeah, SEO in particular, yeah. Yeah, I would say that it's an interesting thing because the tools that I was using, let's say, two and a half years ago when I started the agency were different than the tools that I use on a daily basis today because... I mean, my role is different, meaning that back when I started, I was just one person with a couple of freelancers. Now we are a team of 10 uh, and very, very soon we will open around 10 new positions. So things are changing. And for example, uh, in the early days, which is a tool that we use since day one and we will keep using, in the early days, I was using uh, almost every day ClearScope uh, for conduct optimization. And I was using it because I was the one who was generating the reports because ClearScope works, you know, you generate a report based on a specific keyword and so on. Nowadays, it's not me who takes advantage, let's say, of the tool. It's my team. And so I would say that uh, things change. But I would say that a tool that I'm using daily, and this hasn't changed, uh, is Ahrefs, uh, probably. And... I don't know, Google search, <laughs> the best the best tool of all, I would say, uh, very under leveraged. And yeah, I don't know if I uh, have anything else that I'm using on a daily basis uh, nowadays. Over the years, my role has developed. So I, I still consider myself very much a hands-on marketer, but like yourself, I'm a managing director. And so 
I'm not in practical day-to-day client work as maybe I once was. What's happened over time is that I have a tool suite that I'm responsible for. I introduce software and I'm responsible for the management of that software in our team. But then I also have like my private collection of personal tools that I don't really expose to the team. They're things that I'm comfortable with. That's kind of like my personal toolbox. Do you have a similar thing at all? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And and it's fine because, you know, I'm always in this dilemma, let's say, like, should I share this or will it be like too overwhelming? For example, I have a kind of an obsession with uh, bookmarklets. Uh, because I'm using uh, Google Chrome, you know, it's my browser of choice. And so I have things, pretty much everything from exporting bolts in Google search, uh, exporting search results, uh, you know, just by the click of a button, taking a look at the Ahrefs overview on a domain level, prefix, exact URL, uh, archive.org, uh, checking the robots.txt of the, the website, XML sitemap, you know, and the list goes on. And I'm using those like on a daily basis, but at the same time, I'm just, you know, thinking about it on a very practical level. And I'm like, my team all already has access to all these tools. And quite frankly, I don't know exactly how many of these tools we are actually leveraging and using. So does it make sense for me to, to share with them even more tools? I don't know. And at the same time, as, as you mentioned, in a different degree, of course, I, I guess that at this point, I'm still responsible of identifying tools that could help us become more efficient, more, like do things faster and better besides just achieving or chasing quick wins. So I will get on demo calls with these tools. I will explore them. And if I see that, you know, there is something there, I guess that I will try it first myself. And if I feel that, okay, this is really something, this can really help our team, you know, perform a certain task uh, or that's part of our processes better and so on, then I will introduce it to the team. But I'm always, you know, I, I really try to qualify and validate the, the, actual, the, the actual value of the tool before I serve with a team because I, I simply don't want the team to be overwhelmed with, you know, uh, all these tools that they can use. But in reality, they don't use, like they use just a handful of those on a daily basis. And from those handful of, you know, tools that we are using on a daily basis, you use just a few features. Uh, for example, Ahrefs may have, I don't know, 20 different reports you don't use them all. You use, you know, very specific ones uh, for the tasks that you perform on a daily basis. I think that's such an important lesson. And it's a bit of a behind the scenes look at uh, some aspects of being a manager director at a marketing agency and some of the things you have to consider and get involved with. I haven't really had this discussion with anyone before. It's just funny because it's come up for me this week and it's come up for me a lot lately. And over the years, I've had to manage my own ego a little bit because it can be frustrating. I find software really easy to use i just get excited and i enjoy using software and sometimes it can be frustrating if you feel you're introducing something to a team and you really can see how it will help them and for whatever reason they've not got the same enthusiasm or they find it difficult to adopt 
putting your ego aside and knowing the right time, as you said, to qualify something, go through that process of qualifying something and just managing, like having the discipline to manage your shiny object syndrome yourself and not sharing it and overwhelming your team. It takes a lot of discipline. That's something that I've been through. So it's interesting to hear that you've been through a similar thing, I think. I agree. Couldn't agree more. Having talked all that through, you're obviously a software enthusiast and you've talked already about the industry and the business model working for software as a service as well. I'm interested to know the questions you ask SaaS companies related to SEO before you start working with them. So let's say a SaaS company reaches out to you today you pick up the phone, what are some of the first questions you're asking them about their business, about their website to help qualify them? Yeah, that's a great question. When it comes to SaaS companies, I would say, and I can assume that, you know, this applies to other industries as well and verticals. The first thing that we want to understand is what the goals of the company are. And the reason for that is most of the SaaS categories right now, let's take CRM, for example, uh, it's a very saturated and very competitive category, okay? So if a, a new, let's say, or an established CRM comes to us and their goal is that, you know, in, I don't know, one year from, from today, I want to be number one in my category, then we will understand that, you know, what they are thinking is pretty unrealistic. Okay, so the first thing for us to understand is what are the goals that the company has set, the goals that they have to achieve because uh, they have to prove certain things to their investors mm. and so on and so forth. The second thing that is connected to the first one is, okay, these are the goals. How fast do you want to achieve them? Because as I mentioned previously, if a company comes to us and you know, we, at, at this stage, we, we are pretty aware of how competitive a certain category is. So if a company comes to us and they are like, we want to achieve, I know we want to dominate, let's say, search results and become one of the biggest players in the category uh, in the next six months. Well, you know, this is an indicator that they are not really aware of the uh, situation they are in, of their current position, and that, it may not be as easy as you may think, you know, getting from where you are today to where you want to go, okay? Because as I mentioned previously, once again, SaaS at this stage, it's a great industry, but it has reached a very high level of commoditization. Most categories are very, very uh, saturated. Competition is very intense. And in most cases, there is a battle between VCs and funds and not so much of the companies themselves because there are many, many, like millions, if not billions of dollars invested in these companies in order for them to achieve, you know, whatever they want to achieve, uh, which is in most cases, it's a, it's either an acquisition or a, an IPO if they are very ambitious. So I would say that we need to realize, we need to understand, you know, how realistic they are about their goals and how fast they want to get there. And assuming that we have the two questions covered, the third thing is to understand whether or not they have the budget to get there because mm -hmm. it's a great thing, you know, envisioning that one day you can become number one in your category, at least 
in terms of organic search, but it's a completely different thing having what it takes to get there. And I can assure you that when it comes to that, you know, having what it takes element, things become more and more difficult. Competition is more intense and the investment that companies need to make becomes higher and higher. And quite frankly, I don't see it, you know, stopping anytime soon. I think that if anything, customer acquisition costs will continue to rise. Our our position is to, to try to understand what the goals are, how fast they want to get there. And last but not least, if they have what it takes to get there, because in some cases, yeah, and we have achieved that, by the way, in more than one cases, to establish a website uh, as a dominant player in its category, but it's not easy and it's definitely not cheap. So we need to understand whether or not the company is very is serious and you know has the the budget required to achieve the the kind of results and reach the the kind of goals that they have set for themselves. And you mentioned there about proving certain things to investors. I assume you're talking about things like monthly recurring revenue, proving those kind of metrics and displaying those kind of metrics to investors. But then you also said about ensuring that these SaaS companies understand the value of SEO over time. So is it difficult to find this happy medium between convincing startups that they need to invest SEO for the long run but yet the demand of the investors in the background looking for these metrics. It's funny because in some cases we had, and this is one of the things that you know nowadays we, we try to be more careful about, but in the past we had cases where like the investor or the investment to, to SEO didn't make sense to one of the investors. And so you know this was a, a real problem uh, because at the end of the day, the company was investing their money. So you know how can you beat that actually how can you explain to a person that you know what this is something that you i know that this is not going to work like tomorrow or the week uh, the next week or you know um uh, in a month from from today or whatever but at some point this can be your main drive of new signups free trials what whatever the the offering is and uh potentially revenue as well it's it's very difficult to beat that. So I would say that nowadays, based on experiences like this, what we try to understand is whether or not the company has a sense of this is what SEO is as a channel, also the channel to be validated, let's say, meaning that we want to have some competition. If there is no competition from an organic search standpoint, if there are no companies bidding on keywords, you know, from a paid search standpoint, then chances are that there is no potential for SEO as a channel there. Rare cases, but still, I mean, if you are in a in a relatively, not new category, because I, I don't really believe in new categories, but let's say that you have a, an innovative product in, a, in an existing category and people are not the way people you know, search for this product hasn't been developed yet. Well, you know, SEO isn't a channel that you should invest in. So nowadays we try to understand, you know, the the position of the company and 
whether or not they are very serious, they have an understanding of SEO as a channel, uh, whether or not SEO as a channel is validated so that we can, we can start working together, uh, hopefully validate some things together so that they can further evangelize it inside the company. Because you would be surprised in many cases, it's just, you know, one person inside a, a company that believes in that, like, I believe in it. I have seen it work. I, I just need something like so that I can prove uh, to the rest of the company that this thing can work and we, we need to take this seriously. And all you need is, is just one person uh, in order to, you know, to start evangelizing uh, SEO internally and get more, let's say, internal buy-in in order to invest further in it and get better results. It's tough, but I would say that nowadays we are a bit more uh, cautious about it and more uh, thoughtful in our approach uh, when qualifying uh, prospects. And how do you, and do you at all, educate investors and SaaS owners if they don't have a solid grasp of SEO? I will tell you a little secret, which I didn't, you know, Please. quite, quite <laughs> knew uh, back when I, 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 I was doing that mistake, uh, let's say, which led to become a very important lesson. I used to educate and I used to, you know, I used to believe that educating um, during the sales process is a very good thing to do and the right thing to do. Uh, I mean, not just professionally, but morally as well. Like these people, they need to know what's the, the truth. Well, in my experience, at least, this doesn't quite work. You shouldn't educate as much during the sales process. And I'm completely aware of the fact that I'm saying this, you know, on the, on the record, because at the end of the day, I'm not here to convince anyone about the fact that this thing can work. If they want to be convinced, they can watch our videos on YouTube with so many examples and case studies of companies that have managed to attain growth through this channel. They can read our blog posts. They can uh, attend our webinars, whatever. My role, let's say, in this process is to qualify them, understand if they are going to be a good client for us and if we are going to be a good partner for them. And education will come after we start working together. Then their team will be educated. They will learn things because obviously they will be exposed in our way of doing things. Uh, we are you know, fully transparent with our processes and, and so on. But nowadays, in a nutshell, I, I'm trying to steer away from educating during the sales process because I have seen that not only this doesn't help the prospect, because at the end of the day, I, I would say that people become very selective with the information that they uh, retrieve, let's say, during the sales process. And at the same time, this doesn't help us as well because, you know, we are not going to close this client. We've, we've educated them too much. So I pretend to be a bit dumber uh, nowadays during the sales process. You know what? If you want to see how this works and how this is done, well, we have to work together if indeed they, they qualify uh, for us to be a good client and we for them to be a great partner. So, yeah. It sounds like that's been a learning process for you, something that you've learned over time to actually, because you, you sound there, as you were talking, you talked about morals. 
So it sounds like within you, there's this uh, desire and you, and you value the importance of learning. But at the same time, there's the trade-off of running a business and making sure you make revenue. Is it fair to say that's been a learning process, something you've learned and experimented with over time? I would say that everything is a learning process. Uh, and especially in the, in the agency world, and by the way, I don't know, but I, I, my feeling is that everyone should go through professional services in their lives, regardless of what they are going to do uh, after that. But the, 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 the lessons of uh, running or working at an agency are, you know, so many. And it's a, it's a learning process. Yeah, we are all work in progress and we are all here to, to become better. And I, I want to believe that uh, what I shared with you is, is one of the lessons that uh, will put us in a better position and protect both our position and you know the prospect's position uh, in the future. And so one other question, a burning question of mine and a question that I always get, our team always gets, and I'm sure you get as well. You touched on it as you were talking. How long will it take before SEO starts to work? What do you respond when you get that question? That's, you know, that's, that's, that's a great question. Uh, I guess that if I had a, like a good answer to that question, I would be working at Google probably, and I wouldn't run an agency. Um, but we, you know, the, there is no right or wrong way to answer this question. Obviously there is a wrong way to answer this question. If you tell the, the prospect or set the expectation that, you know, next month you will have, I don't know, uh, millions of people visiting your website, but uh, which is not just professionally wrong. It's also morally uh, the, the wrong thing to do. Uh, but I would say that what we do nowadays is that because we have the, the data and, and so we have different websites that we can match, let's say, to the prospect and we can match that website. And when I say match, I mean, I, th I think about things like things that, you know, the prospect can understand, like domain authority, like traffic, like uh, how old the domain is and things like that, that the prospect can easily understand. And we match their situation and the, the current status of the website to a website we have worked with or currently working with and match also on a second level the services and tell them that, you know what, client X had results in, I don't know, four months. And this is what they did to, to get these results. This is not to say that you can expect to get results in four months, but based on our experience with this website, which is very close to your website, it could be, you know, it's, it's a possibility that this is when things will, will start kicking in. So I'm not saying that this is the right way to do it or the wrong way to do it. Obviously, we are doing forecasting and we have, you know, a way of forecasting, not just traffic because traffic by itself doesn't mean anything. I don't know why it means so many, so, so much all these years for the, for the SEO industry. It doesn't mean anything. But also, uh, since we are talking about such companies, signups and uh, based on, you know, the, the, the current, let's say, uh, lead to view and view to uh, customer um, ratios and also their LTV. We try to to model that, let's say, uh, into what this could mean for you 
and for your bottom line specifically, not just for traffic, but for your bottom line, how this can impact uh, your business. Uh, so this is how we do it. I'm not saying that this is, you know, like a perfect way, but I find it to be better than not saying anything or just saying the um, the the typical, like it will take nine to 12 months or so. Um, because the truth is that, especially in a very fast-paced environment like SaaS, most companies, even though results will, in many cases, come in nine to 12 months, they are not uh, willing to to wait until then because things change fast. The person you are talking to may not be in the company with the company in nine to 12 months. So the last thing they want to hear is that, you know, after you finish with the company, well, guess what? We will start seeing results, you know? So I think that you have to be a bit more uh, strategic about it and a bit more, yeah, as much as you as you can be uh, by at the same time maintaining some of your moral standards and not setting the wrong expectations. As you were talking there, you you started to note some of the metrics associated with SaaS products that you focus on as you were explaining that traffic shouldn't be the only thing that you focus on. And uh, you touched on it in the intro. So aside from the metrics that you focus on, is there anything fundamentally different in SEO for SaaS companies as opposed to SEO for other industries that, um, yeah, over the last two and a half years, you're particularly alert to? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say that uh, to begin with, and I know this may be a hubris to like, you know, the, the managing director of, a, of, a, of an agency that serves SaaS companies to say that, but I think that we try to overcomplicate things. Things, especially when it comes to SaaS companies, are not so complicated. The customer lifecycle journey is pretty straightforward. For example, if we're talking about acquisition, we should talk about acquisition since we are talking about SEO. Uh, we have five stages. And you know, regardless of the names I'll be giving to, to the stages, you can call them however you like. The, at the end of the day, the, the journey is pretty much the same. So we have uh, first stage unaware, for example, you know, I'm searching for something like what is live streaming? I don't have uh, identified any problems or solutions or whatever. Second stage, I'm problem aware, for example, how to put a live stream on your website. Now I have a problem. I'm not aware of any solutions uh, based on the problem I'm experiencing, but I have a problem. So I'm a problem aware. Um, I'm in the problem aware uh, stage, then solution aware, stage number three, for example, live streaming platforms. I know at this point that, you know what, in order for me to put a live stream on, on my website, what I need is a live streaming platform. Then uh, a bit further down the line, I have identified the best solutions or the most prominent solutions in that category. So now I'm, a, I'm, I'm in the product aware stage, for example, I'm looking for restream reviews because I have identified restream as one of the most prominent players and I'm looking for, I need some more convincing, let's say, that this is the solution uh, that best fits my needs right now. And last but not least, most aware, uh, where I'm aware of the product, I am convinced, I'm ready to take some sort of action. Uh, and an example here would be restream demo. I'm ready to get on a demo and, you know, most likely I will sign up for a free trial or whatever the offering is. The thing now is that because the customer lifecycle journey is more straightforward 
in SaaS companies, this causes a few things. One that I touched on earlier, there is intense competition. Because there is intense competition, and in some cases you have to compete with not just websites and companies that do a great job when it comes to SEO, but you have to co compete against very big brands. For example, imagine if you are an online design software and you are competing with, competing with Canva. Like, how can you beat the brand factor in the SERP, the SERP search engine results pages, which is, by the way, one of the things that I'm particularly interested in, like how the brand factor, I would say, changes uh, and changes behavior in, in search. But that's a different discussion. So there is intense competition. Uh, the investment is higher. Uh, unfortunately, because things are very straightforward, you also see a lot of uh, what people call nowadays copycat content. And unfortunately, many SaaS companies copy each other. And at the same time, exactly because the, the customer lifecycle journey is more straightforward, many people in this industry think that they know how to do it right, which is not the case because not, you know, I would say that the, the companies that are truly successful uh, in each category um, are just a handful of those and not, uh, you know, all of them. So many people think they know, but in reality, uh, they don't. The differentiation of copy sounds like a really interesting aspect of this. And I wanted to talk to you about unexpected benefits or challenges. And it sounds like, sounds like that's quite a challenge in the SaaS space to differentiate yourself in a competitive space when actually all the products are similar. So firstly, is that a challenge that you come up against often? You're trying to market a SaaS product and yet you're finding that it has very similar features and benefits to other SaaS products. And are there any other unexpected challenges you've had of, as you've been learning more about the SaaS companies in space? I would say that um, the, the the short answer is yes. And my feeling is, and quick disclaimer, I, I have no experience whatsoever running a, a SaaS company or you know working with with product or anything. Only from the uh, from the standpoint of of an, you know a partner to to these companies, but. My feeling is that if you're trying to compete on features nowadays, you are lost. And the reason why you're lost is because, well, let's say that you have created, developed a new feature today. Well, guess what? Your competitors can most likely and will most likely copy you and six months will have, in six months from today, will have this exact feature of yours and even better. Okay. And especially uh, if we consider the fact that you know, practically you're not practically you're not competing against another company. Practically you're competing against, you know, funds and VCs if the company isn't bootstrapped. So I would say that you don't want to play the uh the features game. Where we are pushing towards nowadays is brand. And from a content standpoint, in order to I would say like increase brand value and try to differentiate yourself. Well, chances are you will not achieve that, unfortunately, because, you know, the, the objective is not that, uh, we, but you will not achieve that with content that's created for a search audience, aka SEO 
friendly content or you know however you want to call it even though i don't subscribe to the term seo friendly content uh, by the way so the way to achieve that is with what we call original content which can include anything from surveys to data studies to uh, invented concepts think of you know invented concepts for example uh, backlinko's skyscraper technique this is an invented concept because you know it's it's a strategy okay but branding was ingenious to enough to to give it a name to call it skyscraper technique and guess what then you just create a movement around it okay so we have data storytelling we have personal storytelling invented concepts opinion pieces based on trends or current you know events and so on and so forth this is for me this is the future of content strategy and you know inevitably this affects seo as well because in most cases pieces of content have the objective of getting organic visibility that are not by by design they are not uh linkable okay so you need original content and a great example here if we're talking about the the seo industry is ahs like they are doing original content for a few years now with studies with you know all these great pieces of content they are doing an invented concept that they have that i can recall uh the middle the middleman method uh, that they have published which is nothing more than a you know like a strategy or a process that they have developed and they just you know give it a name and so and if you if you check the backlink profile of that page you will see that people actually refer the the strategy with that name uh in the links and the mentions that they give to that uh page so i would say that to answer your question uh i would say that you don't want to pr- to play the 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 features game if you want to stand out as a saas company you have to consider uh, original content in combination you know with other uh, content types such as content that's created for a search audience seo content uh, and uh, also product focused content and you talk a lot about these kind of concepts in the case studies on your site and they're very comprehensive and i can see the link now between the content on your site and you just reference ahrefs there they do and even brian dean like the comprehensiveness of your case studies and how you lay out and how you detail your content is very similar in style. So I can see the inspiration or perhaps influence from those companies on you. You've probably learned a lot from them in the SEO space over the years. Do you also happen to, we were talking about influencing maybe investors and SaaS companies during the sales process. Do you use those case studies because they're really comprehensive as part of the education piece in the sales process? I will tell you what, and uh, I, I shared this on LinkedIn the other day. Nowadays, and especially if we're talking about, you know, more hi- like higher ticket services, let's say, uh, and products. Nowadays, most of the, the companies that reach out to us, or let me put it differently, like there is no single one single company that comes to us and they are like, Oh yeah, we just you know saw you on Google, clicked on the search result, and just booked a call right away. You know this is very very rare. Most of the companies are like, oh yeah, we watched your webinar with I don't know this company. Uh, we saw one of your case studies being published on this community. 
we are connected with you on LinkedIn for quite some time now. Uh, we read one of your case studies uh, like on your blog, and then we decided to to book a call. Like if you ask me, like it, it makes perfect sense. Like this is how it should be. It couldn't be otherwise. Or at least, you know, we are not at the stage yet uh, where people will just, you know, like dream companies will just come on our website and just book a call. Uh, I think that you have to work for it. And once again, especially we're talking about higher ticket services. Yeah, uh, people have to be uh, convinced and like they have to develop a relationship with you uh, long before they they reach the point where, yeah, I have a pain now and I know you, uh, I trust you from what I have seen so far. Uh, I, I want to see, to explore like ways of, of working with you. And one of the other big benefits is that you're you're practicing what you preach. So you, you're talking to SaaS companies about conceptualizing or branding aspects of what they do, uh, backing that up with uh, long form or in-depth content of some description. And then you're doing the same thing and able to explain to them that it's working for you. So you've got some, uh, yeah, you've got some evidence and social proof for yourself about how that's working as well for you. I will tell you what, that, that's a great point. And the other day I made a post on LinkedIn about it. Uh, let me just say, I'm not bragging at all with what I'm about to say. Uh, but, you know, internally we had this, let's say, I had this bet with, with our director of growth. And I say, I said to him, <laughs> like, uh, do you think we can rank for SaaS SEO agency in the US in, you know, the first position? And he was up for it and we tried it and... After a few weeks, I, I would say maybe maybe a couple of months, uh, we managed to get first position for SaaS SEO agency in the US, okay, through our homepage, unfortunately. Yeah. And so we did it, you know, just as a, as a small experiment, I would say. And obviously now we have dropped the position because we had to change our uh, title tag and H1 heading because <laughs> it didn't make sense to, to name ourselves SaaS SEO agency for beautiful SaaS companies. Um, but the point is that, and, and you know, the, I, I made a post about it on LinkedIn, not, not to brag, but because it's extremely important for me to, to, to share the fact that we grow through, not SEO, because we are an agency, we are a low volume business by default, but through content marketing, okay, through content, let's say. And we wouldn't advise anything to a company if we hadn't have tried it ourselves first and experience the value of it because we know you know how painful and how difficult it is for companies to grow and so we wouldn't advise anything that we haven't tried ourselves first so we advise uh condesio because we have seen it time and time again work not just for our own brand our own website our own company but for so many other companies as well and the fact that SEO and con can be so transformational for, for a company. This is what I want to, to convey nowadays to like the, the companies that approach us. Uh, if let's say they, um, they are a bit hesitant or, or anything, even though most companies that reach out to us, they, they are not hesitant. They are, they are quite there. So yeah, I guess that like you have to practice what you preach, like, how can I tell someone uh, believe in con and SEO if I don't do anything myself? And unfortunately, you are in this industry way longer than than I am. 
you know that this is not the case with, with most agencies. I don't mean to say anything wrong about our industry. I respect it. Uh, I, you know, I make a living out of it. But unfortunately, the typical agency model works referrals. And when referrals are not, you know, I don't know, as stable anymore, then, then the, the company will try to do something else. But, you know, I just, I just wanted to do the complete different things of the, the typical, let's say, uh, agency growth playbook, because like you cannot rely people's lives on referrals and you cannot rely your, your, your company's growth on just referrals. They are great on top of all the other channels that you have, though. Uh, they shouldn't be just the, the primary source. Um, it gives you it gives you a lot of confidence as well. If you're able to sit across from someone and say, "Well, here's something we did ourselves," you know, everything that we're telling you now, we've done for ourselves. Here are the results. You can't argue with that. For me personally, we pride ourselves in our agency on practicing what we preach and being experimental. And all that I've seen is that that breeds a lot of confidence, which goes, um, as you said, perhaps not every agency works that way. But you can tell, like if you're sitting across from the table from someone, you can tell whether you're speaking to someone, if you've got experience of whether that's per- that person has actually been involved in the practical work, particularly rated to SEO or any marketing discipline, or if they haven't, you can feel it. I agree. I agree. Mm. And speaking of practicing what people preach and on the practical side of things, and again, I, I know that you've been through this process. I can tell from the things you've told me today. And I'm really interested in your tips, anything that you can share with our listeners related to topic clustering. And the reason I ask that is because you won't be surprised to hear that when we discuss SEO on this podcast, topic clustering, theming, grouping comes up a lot. Everyone's searching for efficiency. Everyone's experimenting with different tools. I'm just curious to know what works for you. What do you enjoy doing when it comes to topic clustering? Yeah, that's a great question. And I guess a few weeks ago, we had a a case study that was published on our blog for uh, a SaaS company that we helped with a topic cluster. No active promotion whatsoever, no link building, nothing. Uh, just, you know, um, good execution, I would say. Uh, and this topic cluster as a whole now ranks for uh, almost, you know, two thousands of keywords. Of course, in the title, like we have, you know, uh, something in the, in the, uh, something like, a topic cluster that ranks for you know thousands of keywords or something like that. I guess that we will get there one day, uh, but we just wanted to make it a bit more dramatic, I guess, to get the click. Uh, in any case, when it comes to topic clusters, and let me just say that, as you probably know better than me, uh, SEO is a very opinionated field. Everyone has their own way of doing things, and I'm not saying that our way is the right way. Uh, it's just you know our way. Uh, when it comes to topic clusters, I have... My understanding is based on experience that uh, there are six factors that play a role in general. Uh, the first one is topic breadth, uh, which basically uh, is the coverage of topics that are semantically associated with your main topic. So if, for example, you want to start getting visibility for product launch because your software is somehow associated with launching a new product, well, you have to try to tackle as many subtopics that are, or to put it differently, uh, if you want to, to get visibility for product launch in the first place, this is what topic breadth is. Sorry, I confused it with topic death. Um, you have to make sure that 
you cover topics that are semantically associated to the main topic, which is product launch, okay? Uh, but this is on a, on a topic level, on a very high level. Now, if we want to take a, you know, a step further, um, then we need to talk about topic death, obviously, which is now what I, what I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, the coverage of subtopics that belong to your main topic. So if we are talking about product launch, this could be anything from uh, product launch presentation, how to launch, a, how to create, to craft a product launch presentation. Uh, what is product launch? Uh, product launch software, product launch uh, services, product launch uh, statistics, if there is you know, such a subtopic, product launch metrics, and so on and so forth. So you need to make sure that you tackle as many of these subtopics uh, as possible. Then we have content optimization, which is the, the third one, uh, which is kind of a, you know, I, I would say commoditized uh, aspect of doing SEO today, but I, I feel that it's extremely important. Uh, when, we, when we talk about content optimization, we essentially mean optimizing your content for a search audience. This is not limited in just, you know, adding entities or, you know, terms or whatever. You also need to keep in mind things like user experience, okay? We have seen great results from just from updating the above-the-fold experience of our clients' blogs. Uh, you would be surprised. So the third one is content optimization. Then, especially for topic clusters, you need to care about crawl efficiency. One of the reasons why topic clusters work in some cases when you know execution is, is good is because at the end of the day, Google... Or your work, let's say, as a content creator or as, a, as an SEO professional is to make uh, Google's work easier, meaning that Google would prefer to crawl your subfolder, which you know, can work as your hub page and everything that you have under that subfolder and serve as many of these pages in the search results than go on and you know, crawl 100 different pages from 100 different websites. So from an efficiency standpoint, uh, it, it is extremely important that you structure, let's say, your topic cluster in a way that is easy uh, for the search engine crawlers uh, to crawl and understand. Then one thing that I have seen uh, in general play a role when you know, you're interested in developing topical authority, which is kind of related to, to topic clustering, is publishing velocity. I know that this is a uh, there you know this may be a a topic where some SEO professionals would disagree but my experience is that the frequency at which you publish new content and after a certain point after you have an existing content inventory update uh your content well it matters it matters a lot and I have an example here we have a website uh one of our clients we are publishing New content consistently for almost two years now, um, and on the twentieth of July we published a, a blog, a new blog post. Okay, uh, that was targeting the term college promo items. Uh, the the website is a uh, it's a it's a platform for uh, branded swag, ordering br- uh, branded swag, and we were surprised to see that the page not was not only indexed on you know the same day. It was served on the search results in the top 10 on the same day. 
uh, on the 20th of uh, July. This wouldn't have happened if we you know, didn't have this steady publishing velocity and we were not there you know, every week with great content, topic after topic, uh, keyword after keyword, and so on and so forth. And not, not, last but not least, I would say that, which is not you know, um, directly, let's say, connected to the success or no of a topic cluster, I think that's broadly connected to it and is like tightly connected to developing topical authority in general is content monitoring. Because at some point, uh, you have to start thinking about maintaining the content inventory that you have and making sure that your content performs at each best at all times. Because getting the content out there in the first place is great, but and it may help you like develop topical authority and have a topic cluster or whatever work well, but that's for a while. You you need to maintain it um, after some point to make sure that you will not like lose what you have managed to to get. I really like the point about crawl efficiency. Out of all the things that you discussed there, I think the impact on crawl efficiency that's achieved through careful and considerate topic clustering theming is really underappreciated. I don't hear too many people talk about that. I want to close out this episode with one final question. Hopefully it's an easy one and a fun one for you, but you've mentioned Ahrefs in this episode. I'm curious just to know who's impressing you when it comes to SaaS SEO. So of course, we'll link to your website. People can read the case studies about the businesses that you work with. But are there any other companies in the SaaS space that you admire because they just do a really good job of SEO? Many, uh, many of, of, of great examples, uh, many of whom we, we interview in our own podcast, the SaaS SEO. So I would say one of the, the, you know, the top companies that come in mind, uh, Wise, uh, formerly TransferWise. I don't know if, if you haven't checked them out, uh, they are doing a tremendous job when it comes to, to SEO. Uh, I think that it's, a it's, a it's one of the, best case studies out there right now. Uh, another one, NordVPN, they are doing a, uh, a tremendous job uh, as well in a very, very, very competitive um, category, I would say. Another one which, for which we have done a, uh, a breakdown, a case study, let's say, in our, on our own website, but you know, we have to update it because uh, they, they are growing very, very fast, uh, vid.io. Uh, it's a video editing software uh, with several capabilities. Kinsta, uh, I think that uh, what they have started with, you know, this error-based approach when it comes to uh, SEO and content is something that really stands out. Uh, ClickUp is doing some very interesting things lately. And I was lucky enough to interview their uh, SEO lead uh, for our podcast just a few weeks ago. Actually, we published the, the episode uh, yesterday, uh, Canva, obviously Canva is, is, you know, it's, it's huge. And I think that, uh, it's a great example of, uh, a company that like not just gets SEO, but takes it seriously. Um, Zapier, uh, it's, it's one of the, you know, the most popular, uh, examples. And, uh, lately email marketing software Musant also does some very interesting things. Um, but you know, these are just 
top of the mind. Uh, there are many, many other examples of, of companies that do great things when it comes to, to SEO. I think um, those are some great examples and hopefully a lot of inspiration for our listeners to go and check out. Uh, you mentioned the SaaS SEO show there. If people want to listen into the, uh, the SaaS SEO show, they want to contact you, they want to learn more about Manisha, where can they find you, George? First of all, Manisha.com, double T, our website. You can feel free to check it out. Um, let me just say that we are working on the new design of the website. We know that uh, the current design isn't the best but very soon we will have a very, very, very beautiful website uh, that's in the works right now. Uh, so feel free to check out our website. And uh, when it comes to reading our blog, uh, let me just say that you will find con that you don't read like every day. Uh, we try to do things uh, a bit differently. Uh, if you want to reach out to me personally, the, the best place to, to, do, to do so would be LinkedIn. I try to be very active there. So try to you know, uh, find me on LinkedIn and say hi. And um, for the SaaS SEO, so we publish every episode, the, the video version of every episode on YouTube. So feel free to subscribe uh, at Minusia and check out the uh, every, you know, uh, episode that we publish there. Um, and the audio version, I guess all major podcast platforms like Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts uh, and so on and so forth so I think that you know these are these are enough go check them out listeners George all that's left to say is thanks so much for your time it's been great to spend an hour with you speaking about some of these finer aspects of SaaS and SEO links to everything we've discussed today will be in the show notes and this has been the Internet Marketing Podcast take care